Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Murray. And this is Scotland's Secret Space Race Christmas Special. Ho, ho, ho. Why am I so excited about this? You sound like the Grinch. <laughs> You know, are you not excited about Christmas, Murray? No, I'm. I'm very, very excited. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, seeing what friends and family I can under under various mm-hmm. restrictions. No, I'm. I'm looking forward to it very, very much. So, listen, we've got a lot to cram into this episode. I'm really excited that we've had the opportunity to come back for a Christmas special because a lot's happened, and it's only been what two months since we last spoke. I know an enormous amount has happened in the past couple of months. A massive amount has happened since we started recording the podcast together. I know, that was only March. Can you believe that's only March? nine months? Yeah. So we, so far we've squeezed in two series of the podcast uh, and yeah. reached out to, well, we've had fantastic contacts actually with people from around the world, haven't we? And we've had some great, really great support actually from, I mean, we've worked with uh, SPIE, of course, to bring the Space Satellites and Sustainability Conference to Edinburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. David Alexander has been a, a stalwart supporter of the podcast since the uh, get-go. I owe him about six bottles of whiskey because of the number of favours he's done for us. He's mentioned this <laughs> podcast on just about every webinar that he's had, whether it was with NASA or Global Scott or Scott Soft. He mentioned it at that as well. So thank you, David, for your yeah, support. Thanks, it means a lot. And various others as well. Peter Platzer, that was an exciting interview. It Craig was Clark, great. Yeah. Who I did not call the grandfather of space. I called him the godfather <laughs> of space. I would like to just clear that up once and for all. Thank you. Well, you, you also forgot to turn the microphone on for Peter platter didn't you oh god i knew you'd bring that up i am a professional broadcaster absolutely pro so (laughs) i'm very good at this as well you've turned into somebody who doesn't use seven thousand words where 10 will do well i try I try. And I've also developed my technical abilities. I'm I'm not coming to you from underneath a blanket. Although that worked quite well for sound deadening for a couple of episodes when we were still trying to figure out how to how to do things from home when we're not allowed to see anyone at the start of lockdown. It's kind of a miracle that we've done as much as we have, given the pandemic. It it, it is, but it's also a testament to the the quality of the people who are working in this uh, ecosystem and the people who have come on to the the podcast. We've had some fantastic high-level guests. Mm. Cassandra Mercury, she's one to watch, definitely. She came on to talk to us about being a woman in engineering and also working on her quantum key distribution, which I still don't fully understand. Um, She is ex-NASA and she's an exceptionally clever woman, but they've just won a huge amount of funding, which was just announced this week, over £340,000 for her QKD program based um, in Craft Prospect in Glasgow. So, I mean, you blink and you'll miss it in Scotland. There is so much cool tech happening, isn't there? Yeah, that's that's fantastic to hear. Another one which we can uh, highlight now is the UKSA Space Agency has funded the School of Geosciences, uh, our Space and Satellites program with the data slipstream. So uh, that's that's really, really exciting too. Mm, it's amazing. And then the Scottish Space Leadership Council got some funding from UKSA as well. So they're looking yeah, to Yeah, congratulations to them. That's fantastic. I know. Christina's been heavily involved in that. Christina's back on this time. I'm so pleased to say we can't have a proper show without Christina on, right? No, she's a business development executive and she is bringing people together in a brilliant way. She's such a fantastic networker and is able to put projects together, which are clearly very compelling. But do you know who else is a bit of a superstar this year? Go on. You. You've had a busy year and you've just been on the front cover of Business HQ. Congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm Who put blushing, you there? Blushing, <laughs> blushing away here, Kim. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, you've had a fantastic year as well. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not presented a, a, a series of conferences? And you, you had one very, very recently, I believe, with 1,300 participants. Yeah, that was crazy. I was in the Edinburgh International Conference Centre on my Todd, but broadcasting to 1,300 people for Digital Scotland, which was a really, really interesting conversation, actually, about how the public sector has responded to COVID and moved to digital in a crazy, crazy way. Things that would have taken them five years took them about five weeks. So, yeah, loads going on in Scotland, but we really want to focus on space because that is what we love. And we've got a superstar guest on today. We've got Mark Logan talking to us about his technology review um, and how it relates to the space sector as well. 
real authority, of course, to come on this on the show. Fantastic to hear that overview of the review, but really to get into some of those in-depth questions about the things we can do here in Scotland to improve the transition of our ecosystem to a self-sustaining system which doesn't require so much support. So very, very exciting. I think we're doing a lot of the right things. Uh, but, I think so. Yeah. And then Shetland, they had some big story this uh, just in the last couple yeah. of weeks about a big win for them. So we've asked Yvette and Frank to come on and tell us about their plans for the future. So they're on as well. Fantastic. And then we have Dr. Michal's Vidmar, who's going to be talking about the overall view of the space and satellites ecosystem here in Scotland and how all the bits fit together. Mm, yeah, it's going to be a packed show. You've dodged the question, though, Murray. I was giving you the opening to talk about all the work that you've done this year, and you just quickly moved on to me. So let's go back to you. <laughs> Tell us about your year and what you've been achieving with space intelligence. Uh, well, as you know, I'm a DDI Chancellor's Fellow, which mandates me to do work between uh, academic research and innovation, and space intelligence is my major contribution to that. The company's grown a lot over the past year. Uh, we've developed projects right here in Scotland, undertaking advanced land cover mapping and supporting natural capital mapping as well. Uh, we're also doing work on peatland mapping. So you may know that peatlands store an enormous amount of carbon around the world, including right here in Scotland, but they're often degraded and degrading, releasing that carbon into the atmosphere. So restoration and maintenance of peatlands could be a major contribution to um, reaching net zero. And then the, the other major thing, which um, you mentioned, <laughs> getting onto the, uh, the front cover of uh, was business, business HQ, is mm. that we uh, we won the Shell's Game Changer competition. So this was a call out to uh, companies from around the world to develop game-changing technology to address the climate crisis. So I'm in an incredible position, surrounded by a fantastic team. Uh, I have a superbly talented co-founder, Professor Edward Mitchard, and an extremely talented team of technical analysts and so it's been yeah, fantastic to grow that team. Yeah and for you to be hiring while so many people are worrying about their jobs is, is a real achievement and just to give Murray the credit he's due he beat 73 other companies from around the world to win this competition with Shell so you know pretty big deal definitely worth front page story so I'm delighted for you and I hope that it's a really good project that you can then roll out worldwide. Thanks very much and it's, uh, it's real Pleasure to uh, to hear you say that. It was, was a lot of hard work to, to get it there uh, between Ned mm. and myself. We've got through the, the past nine months, right? Uh, and particularly yeah. for space and satellites, everybody we speak to is is giving us the same message. There's a massive amount of interest, massive amount of activity. But what we need to do is just keep that momentum going. And of course, somebody like Mark gives us the framework and the shopping list of things to do to make sure that that happens. Yeah, well, let's just go straight into it then. So Murray and I had the pleasure of speaking to Mark Logan about his technology review, which is available to read online if you're interested. And Mark told us what he thinks Scotland needs to do to become a leading nation in terms of digital technology. So firstly, the report tries to take a, a holistic view of, of the Scottish tech ecosystem um, and tries to be quite explicit about what we mean by that, because it's a term that's often used uh, with different intentions, different meanings behind it. And I think what that's led to over time is a lot of kind of local interventions. You know, some agency or some body or some individual uh, makes a well-intentioned intervention somewhere and the results are pretty underwhelming because unless we start looking at it as a system and start to ask ourselves what happens if we intervene in education, for example, or in startup support, what happens to the overall rate of successful startups later, unless we start asking those questions, we, we tend to have, have very ineffective or relatively ineffective uh, interventions. You know, a great example of that is, is Codebase in, here in Scotland, a uh, great incubator, supporting uh, pre-COVID almost 100 startups, but has, has always struggled to get any public support, funding support, because bodies like Scottish Enterprise measure it on its P&L, which is not the way to assess an, an, an entity like that. So um, the other thing that, that I think the report um, pivots around is this idea of a tipping point in ecosystems. And you know, in, in more mature ecosystems, there, there's a, a critical mass of startups and scale-ups 
coming through. And that, that leads to certain virtuous network effects becoming established that actually continually strengthen the ecosystem without any intervention really being required. So once you're past that tipping point, these virtuous effects start to play. And in Scotland, although we've got you know lots of positive aspects to the ecosystem, we don't have that, that tipping point reached yet. So the report is really saying, you know, with those two things in mind, taking a system view and thinking of that tipping point, what interventions can we make that take us or accelerate us rather to that tipping point after which we can start to relax some of those interventions? So that's really the kind of ethos of the report. Potentially, yeah, somewhat facetiously, I wanted to call this podcast Critical Mass. First, because it sounds like the kind of film which Nicolas Cage would have made in about 1997. <laughs> and it's quite exciting. But distilling what you had written, that's that's what it really comes down to, isn't it? That you set out a portfolio of interventions to get us to the point where it's no longer necessary to intervene because there's a self-sustaining set of activities and effects. Kim and I have been working for the past couple of years on understanding uh, technology with respect to space. I know that your domain agnostic in the uh, the report, you don't really want to focus on a particular domain. Kim and I do have a bit of a, uh, a dog in the fight, I, I guess, there, and we see what's happening within space. And there certainly is, I suppose, the good news, a series of things which are happening, both in the private sector, but in the universities as well, uh, and with support from agencies such as Scottish Enterprise, which are leading towards the creation of that critical mass. So we've been speaking to companies which have come to Scotland and are now interested in coming to Scotland because of the, these network effects, because of the, uh, the weight of investment going into the sector and crucially the talent. So I have a dual role uh, as a hybrid academic uh, working between the University of Edinburgh, but also with my innovation hat on running a company called Space Intelligence. Uh, so I think there's something really, really exciting happening in the space sector. And so I wanted to know whether you knew very much about space and satellites in, in the context of your report. Is this something which has come onto your horizon? It has, and, and uh, you know, one of the pioneers of our sector here, Craig Clark. Uh, you know, I, I'm I, I'm friendly with as well, and I'm very admiring of what what he's done. I think that the space example is 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 a great example of of how intervention should work. There are many different types of intervention. Of course, we could think about from you know early stage education through to scale up support, but but let's take this as a an example because in, in the report, I it's not so much that we are sector agnostic it's more that that i wanted to strike a a a different approach to the the kind of the only lever that's been pulled before which is we are going to be really great at pick a technology we're going to be really great at blockchain so let's put money into blockchain startups and and let's try and guess as a you know as a government where the technologically hot areas or market areas are going to be and i don't think that works very well i mean it works sometimes but it doesn't work uh, on average, I think what we see with the space sector is is how it should be done, which is uh, a pioneer, an entrepreneur, or, or entrepreneurs plural, decide that they want to do something in a, an area, and they they get somewhere with that, and then it starts to look like it could be viable, and that's the point where we should then start to bring in sector support, you know, give them money to create trade bodies and conferences and and so on and so forth. You know, I think if you'd said to anybody in government or in Scottish Enterprise or 15 years ago, should we start a space sector? You'd have been laughed out of every room you went into. And yet here we now are. So I think it's very hard to predict those technologies. So the report's really saying, let, you know, let's make sure we get really good at the generics of tech companies, you know, high-speed iteration, experimentation, the various techniques to produce software in a in a, an environment of uncertainty that customers want to use. And there's a lot we can learn from each other, but also from outside Scottish ecosystem in that regard. And I think the space example is wonderful because, you know, I spent my career being told by people that you couldn't grow successful tech companies in a region like Scotland. And I've, I've very much enjoyed being part of teams that, that proved that not to be the case. And I think the space example is great because someone decides that you know we can do this here. I'm going to do it, and then an industry starts to grow around it. And I think that's how we should be led by the people closest to the market, closest to the, the technology, and then 
government support or other other public agencies can fall in behind that when something is proven, but not the other way around. I think that's less effective. Okay. Totally agree. And I think what's really interesting as well in your report, you were talking about these innovation hubs and how we can take an interdisciplinary approach. And it like, kind of goes back to what you're saying is don't put all your eggs in one basket and try and all learn together. Codebase is obviously a fantastic example of that. But equally, there are innovation hubs and the Bayes Centre at the University of Edinburgh is a really good example of that, where you have all these specialists literally under one roof, or at least they were before COVID came and sent us all home. And then they can all learn from each other. And then it kind of grows, doesn't it? And it becomes closer to that critical. Mass. Yeah, it's an interesting point. This, you know, I, I like the <clears throat> I like the the analogy Kim of the of the market square, the physical market square, in Renaissance cities, like places like Florence or Naples or, or even you know Edinburgh and Glasgow in the Scottish Enlightenment. What was happening there was first of all you had people who hadn't decided to over specialize. You know, Leonardo da Vinci did not over specialize, as we well know. You know, painter, engineer, anatomist, etc., etc., etc. But also he would he would walk into the various squares in, in those cities I just mentioned and meet people just like them like him. And the exchange of ideas between these people was extraordinary. I think that that is basically the secret of innovation is and it's not really a secret, we just choose to ignore it because it's kind of inconvenient. You know, that we basically can't over specialize, number one, or number two, segment ourselves off, wall ourselves off from people with different specialisms. And therefore I I like environments like Codebase because provided you, you meet a certain curation standard, it doesn't really matter what your tech area is. And there's companies in there with three people and with, with, with 80 people and, and more. The Silicon Valley is essentially one large market square with intense sharing of ideas. And, you know, I, I, there's a lot about Silicon Valley I don't like. But the reason I, I reference it so often is because... There's so many companies there failing and succeeding that best practice distills out of it more quickly than almost anywhere else. And we ought to access that best practice. But in a, in a smaller scale with their own people, that's that's how people learn from each other. You learn. And I found, for example, in Skyscanner that it was only when we collided teams that frankly didn't want to be collided, like engineers and marketeers, that we did great marketing and we did great engineering. Uh, and that's the the lesson I think we should take into the ecosystem as a whole. Well, that's 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 where I jump in, Mark, and uh, make a very strong pitch again for the base. And my my pitch being that really embodies that ethos. And so we have teams of people from Edinburgh Parallel Computing Centre alongside uh, business development support, alongside visitors coming in from government, so people who might frame as challenge holders. And then uh, groups of visiting students, for instance, uh, new PhD students, everybody mixing in that one place. So breaking down those barriers, uh, both between disciplines. So you might have like the biologists and the mathematicians and the informaticians in one place, uh, but also working on an intersectoral basis. So the private sector, public sector and those university uh, academics and students all getting together in one place. And that's been I've been there for a couple of years and that's been a very, very exciting and very very different experience to have and i think it, it does meet your market square criteria mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think this is a kind of fractal thing murray so I, you know I've, I've been in the base center many times and i see exactly the forces at work that you talked about and then the the um in isolation the sort of downside of that uh, accelerator is it's very blockchain orientated which is which is a strength, so you can specialise that skill set, but becomes a weakness if that's all you did. So that's why when you then put Bayes in the context of a wider uh, market square in Edinburgh, you know where people can access, you know what's going on at Codebase and so on, then that all starts to work really well. But in the context of a vibrant wider ecosystem, that, that, that all works, you know. And really, what we're trying to create in our young founders and, and lots of young founders is is to make them sort of T-shaped people, as they say, you know, you, you might know a lot about something, but you know a little bit about a lot of other things so you can connect to other people. I think it's so important that while we get greater specialisms, we create that environment where those specialisms are are shared. And let, let's take another example. Let's go back to the topic of, of your, your series here, space technology and the skill sets that go with that. I wonder what would happen if, that, if those companies were more adjacent to companies doing different stuff. If those AI startups in Wira were sharing some of their knowledge with a space tech startup, how much more impressive our satellites would be? 
Uh, you made some very interesting points about education as well. So having business taught alongside uh, computer science, uh, that's, that sounds like it's another, it's just a, a different stage in a talent pipeline. Um, you use these, these funnels a lot, this, this uh, as a sort of conceptual model for the, for the system. I thought that was very, very powerful. But do, I mean, do, do you find that to be still a challenge for people to think in that kind of a way? Yeah, very much so, because I think it comes back to our human nature. It's inconvenient to go outside of the tribe. You know, we, we uh, spent, you know, 200,000 years, uh, start your clock, whenever the first Homo sapiens started to, to walk around. And we spent most of that time, 99.9% of it, living in a two-mile square area, uh, mm. you know, or, or with only our own tribe. And it's built into us we're suspicious of other tribes, so therefore we find it at least cognitively tiring to engage with with different groups of people. What I really liked as well was when you were talking about teaching computer science in school and the fact that it should be just as important as maths or any of the other core subjects, which I think mm-hmm. is really a no-brainer. It's how we put that into practice, given you know constraints on teaching and whatever. But I think there's definitely um, an appetite, certainly from what I've seen with my interviews, for people to go into schools and share their knowledge, whether they're startups, scale-ups, you know, experienced professionals. And that could potentially be a really good way right now, given that teaching is all over the place so let's let the experienced people come in and give the kids that little Mm -hmm. bit of an extra experience and actually that's something that Murray's doing right now he had some students come to him and say we want to launch a satellite and rather than laughing Murray was like okay cool how how can we do this and so they've kind of created this amazing company that they're going to launch a weather balloon and then see where they go from there so if I can chip in there I think they had the inspiration already and and the thing that makes me feel more optimistic than ever about what's going on here is that they're they you know they're self-organizing they're really doing the things mark that you set out mm-hmm. and you know they're getting together and they they have that notion of you know getting to market addressing problems that exist in the real world but they're addressing real challenges and so we've got to the stage now of uh, funding them for a, a high altitude balloon launch which i persuaded them was a good intermediary step because they get some experience of exposure to the space sector having a relatively low cost mission which they can deliver have that heritage of project development yeah two very interesting points and it sounds like a wonderful program Murray you, you've got running there so congratulations on, on that it sounds sounds perfect I think it reveals two things one is that I believe the natural state of humans is to be entrepreneurial because that's how we survived. You know, we've got to be pretty creative about where you found food. And then I think our education system over the centuries became tuned for creating factory workers. We kind of um, force out that entrepreneurialism from our from our children. There's a huge uh, dissonance between the importance of of creating tomorrow's software engineers, product managers, and the attention that we give that in our education system. You know, we give computing science. If it's lucky in some schools, as much focus as home economics, we don't have 13,000 unfilled vacancies in geography every year or history, for example, but we do in computing science and the salaries in computing science based jobs are, are generally a lot higher, but we we pay no attention to that in our school education system. You know, you touched Tim and Murray on a, an idea about how do we get industry involved here. So one of the, the things I've been thinking about after the report is well, how would you how would you in the short term improve this situation? And I think there are a, a number of shorter term, relatively easy to implement interventions we can make now that make a big big difference. Uh, and one of those is that you know if you want to get more children becoming proficient programmers when they leave school, you've got to give more time in the curriculum for programming, and you've got to give the teachers more currency of skills so that they can actually teach those children. Now, if you want to follow that cause and effect chain, you quickly realise that you can't get, give the teachers upskilling time because the schools won't release them. How do you solve that? Well, one one thing we've been looking at is, is can you bring industry people into the classroom on a regular basis to free up those teachers to follow a, an upskilling and reskilling curriculum? And I've been talking with the Scottish Tech Army and others uh, and Tony Scullion, who's you know, the, the well-known young teacher who's a force of nature in terms of driving computing science forward with dress code and Turing testers. And we're, we're hoping to put together a proposal for government that would put a system in place that would routinely have industry people giving teachers time out of the classroom so they could upskill and uh, in turn 
create more programming impetus for for children. And just finally, of all the recommendations in your report, and there are so many wonderful sort of routes for us to take, what are your kind of top three priorities that you would suggest we need mm-hmm. to work on? Well, I, I don't want to sound like um, Tony Blair in 1997, but the three of them would be education, education and education. Um, I mean, I do actually mean that beyond just the kind of glib soundbite, because let's take education at school level. We've talked about that. We need more supply of, of young folks who want to, go into this profession at university level we need more students who think in an entrepreneurial fashion which they tend not to just now um because they're they're not exposed to it and at founder level we've got to recognize that there's a there's a playbook that the world-class best companies use that our folks need to be using too and too often they don't know that playbook so they're competing on the same internet for the same customers a different level of capability. And I think we've got to, and really the, the whole tech scaler idea is less about physical spaces. And, you know, who knows when those physical spaces will become viable again, but it's, it's more about creating something, be it physical or virtual, that creates a community where we can educate our founders intensively on everything from basic HR hygiene through to how to, does Slack or Zoom run its viral growth engines? You know, and how can you do the same thing? That's not something that just happens by osmosis. So for me, those different types of education are fundamental. And, and you know, to frame that a little bit, Kim, I say in the report that words to the effect that if you give £10 million into this ecosystem, should you just give it to SIB to give out to companies? Or should you invest it in that founder education and, and related resources? And the problem with the first option is you won't find enough companies worth investing in uh, that will make good use of that money. And the, and the second option will create far more of those companies. So that's why, for me, priorities one, two, and three are education in each of those areas. And that was great speaking to Mark there. Mark Logan, ex-COO of Skyscanner and now leading light when it comes to the technology ecosystem in Scotland. You've not spoken to him before, had you, Mark? I've not, but I absolutely loved it. I think that's a fantastic interview. I love the idea of the market square, the Renaissance mm. City market square. That's the, you know, Many of the things that she described we have got going on already, or we had at least in, you know, physically before the pandemic hit, uh, and things uh, we'd like to do in the future in, in the base centre. So bringing people together from commercial background, from the public sector, and from academia, and having colliders, bringing people from the business school. I, I really love that description, and I think that's, that's an inspiration for what we'll do in the future. Yes, and it's an inspiration for what you and I will work on in the future, but more on that later. Before we speak any more about ourselves, because we quite enjoy doing that, don't we, Murray? We're going to talk <laughs> We're going to talk to Matthias Vidmar, who can really lead on from what Mark was saying and bring it down into a kind of specific Scottish space ecosystem. He's going to talk about how it all works together in Scotland and um, just paint a kind of general picture for you. Here's Matt. So the Scottish space ecosystem is really built on sort of three pillars, if you like. There is a significant amount of research and development in hardware, space hardware, in and around Glasgow. These days, kind of quite closely related to Strathclyde University, but you know, primarily actually built on a, on a basis of, of of Clyde Space, the company, and and Spire. Um, as well as smaller companies like um, Alba Orbital. Then you have the Dundee pillar, which is kind of more in the sort of electronics, onboard communications with, you know, the world-leading standard developers, Star Dundee um, and Bright Ascension, who are building sort of small payloads um, for power management systems for, for small satellites. And then you have Edinburgh. And the Edinburgh is an ecosystem inside an ecosystem. Uh, because A is the largest of these three pillars, and it is also the one that's most interdisciplinary because this is about space data. So Edinburgh expertise is mainly in analysis of remote sensing data uh, from satellites built b- based on the School of Geosciences, but it also then spans into other areas of sort of big data analytics and the informatics capability 
in order to be able to process and, and analyze all of this data. And that ecosystem, that part of the ecosystem, which as I say, it's sort of an ecosystem inside an ecosystem is now sort of centered around the base uh, center for innovation, um, as well as links into other projects on the ground, like the Higgs Center for Innovation up at the Royal Observatory and, and sort of other university centers and incubators. But it is mainly to do with the combination of capability in data processing and analytics, the expertise in data analysis from the School of Geosciences, and then, of course, also the, uh, the infrastructure that we're getting here built uh, based on the data-driven innovation program. Yeah, and that's a really good summary, actually. And what I'm interested in is how all the parts work together, because this is still a fairly new industry. How good are we at joining the dots? Yes, so it, it is relatively recent, though you know Scotland in many ways is leading the way in at least in, in kind of a, in, in the UK and in the European context. But yes, it is relatively recent. The critical way in which the industry has been coming together is sort of banking on something that you know is sometimes you know seen as a Scotland's weakness, which is that we're a very small place. <laughs> so it's a small country, and hence. It is a small, relatively still small ecosystem, but that actually is a strength because people interact a lot more. Uh, and through a series of Scottish space symposia uh, and then other conferences that sort of develop around the kind of the community, things like data.space, as well as us hosting several of the SPIE conferences, so big international conferences in these fields that were brought to Scotland, meant that a, a, a collective identity was formed. And that's really where most of the ecosystemic interaction happens through these specific events where people talk about their work, their projects, um, as well as um, how they can create new synergies with other partners. You know, one of those sort of interesting developments, uh, so maybe there's two interesting developments. So one was the conceptual articulation of what this might look like through something called the Agile Space Group. Agile Space Group didn't really go that far, but in, in effect, it sent the the direction, the signal about where is Scottish space industry going. And that's the idea of something that we refer to as sort of loose value chain integration. That basically means lots of smaller companies working together and in between them covering the whole of the value chain from a satellite mission inception through all the design and building, potentially launch soon through the various sort of spaceports that are being developed in the north of Scotland, and then all the way to data downlink and analysis. And that kind of coherent story, but actually not in one company, but built across a, a whole group of smaller companies has been sort of the, 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 the guiding light for the Scottish space sector. In terms of putting it all together, we've now had the Scottish Space Leadership Council that's been kind of formed um, out of a government advisory group. And, and I think that is really where a lot of the now sort of the top level ecosystem coordination is happening, but it is effectively continuing with this idea of an ecosystem of smaller players working together on this idea that Scotland is a one-stop shop for small space solutions. Mm. And I love the example of the Space Leadership Council because they've just won a significant amount of money. I'm not sure if they've said publicly quite how much, but it is a significant amount from the UK Space Agency to formalise the, the organization because they're entirely voluntary at the moment they're going to formalize it and hopefully build a hub around it so is that key to developing this ecosystem yes i mean the 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 scottish space leadership council is definitely playing a significant role because it is able to interact across these different clusters but you know that i mentioned sort of dundee edinburgh glasgow and of course now with increasing importance of the north of scotland with the capability to actually uh, build and launch rockets from Western Isles all the way up to Shetland. So yes, I think there, they, in, in terms of the, the holistic ecosystem development, that's key. I think, however, there's a second key, which is, of course, that each of the clusters need to also keep up and develop you know, the, 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 smaller, the smaller ecosystem that are supporting the bigger you know, pan-Scottish um, vision. Um, and I think here, you know, and this is not to you know, bang the drum of our, our, our success, but actually I think in Edinburgh, we are perhaps um, a little bit further ahead than in, in other um, um, sort of centers because we have quite a significant concerted strategy and investment in space data analytics and how can we become not only Scottish leaders, because we already are Scottish leaders anyways, but how can we become European or even global leaders in analyzing data um, and, and analyzing data with 
the most advanced analytical tools possible, machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, and, and, and integrate this all back to understanding the sources of the data and the origins of the data in the sensors that are also developed and built here in Edinburgh. So that is really, really important that not only is there like a, a Scottish Space Leadership Council top level integration, but that we also nurture these smaller ecosystems and that we make sure that they are resilient for all the challenges that we know are coming in the future. Mm. And the thing that always strikes me is how easily everybody works together. And one example of that is the spaceports, because, you know, a couple of years ago, the thought of launching rockets from Scotland would have just been inconceivable. And yet here we are with five potential launch sites, three of them particularly advanced. Um, one of them's just signed a multi-million pound deal. We're going to hear from Shetland slightly later on the podcast. Um, and they all work together because they're trying to create an industry to start with. And then I guess they'll become more competitive down the line, right? Absolutely. But I think in an interesting way, you know, Scotland's, you know, just natural, you know, just geographical position where we are on the, you know, on the globe and, and on the map uh, is, is, is a significant advantage here. And I think, though, I suspect you're right and the space force will become more competitive, competitive amongst each other further down the line. It is also likely that they'll all be very successful in their own right and that actually there isn't that much you know direct competition really i mean obviously they'll you know they're, they're offering similar kinds of services but there's definitely space for all well three at the moment that are kind of you know um, sort of emerging as as the sort of the leaders um to all coexist quite happily and to all have quite enough business to go around because you know scotland could be definitely the launch pad to space for small satellites for the whole of europe there's no doubt about it i mean yes there are also some other spaceports in places like sweden and and there's some other proposed um, sort of around the, particularly the Western coast of, of, of Europe. Um, but because we have this strategic position um, sort of in kind of not quite in the middle of the Atlantic, but, you know, in uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. So there is no land and there's no people there. I mean, of course, there's Iceland and there's smaller islands up there. But there's there's, you know, there's there's huge, vast, um, um, empty sort of ocean between us and the North Pole. It is one of the best places in the whole of Europe to launch rockets. Uh, so that is really an advantage that no one else can match. So I suspect that if we play our cards right, all three spaceports can have a lot of business to go around. Mm, so exciting, isn't it? To be able to do, as you say, the entire ecosystem from start, from conception of how you're going to even plan this mission to literally launching the rocket all in our tiny little country. It's really cool, isn't it? Absolutely. And it really shows what an opportunity this whole kind of new space industry is. For countries like Scotland, and we're not the only country, of course, with this sort of capability, but, you know, definitely one of the emerging potentially superpowers of the of the small space industry. You know, this is really, really, you know, a, a, a completely different opportunity from what space used to be, because in order to be able to launch rockets to the moon or, you know, do any of the sort of the big projects of the past, you had to have quite almost inexhaustible resources to, to you know financially and you know just also in terms of space and and, and and ability to kind of build huge factories and huge sort of manufacturing and, and production lines but with the small sats because of the scale because you can effectively build a small satellite almost in your garage these days that is really <laughs> enabling countries like scotland to emerge as completely you know completely outside of the of the past space industry box and i think it is a lot of work, so it's not to sort of underplay just the amount of effort that went into building this ecosystem in Scotland. But on the other hand, you know, the opportunities that we were given through the miniaturization of electronics and the much, much more widely available data from space, you know, that, that just, you know, that's something that, you know, I think Scotland was very, very well placed to exploit and has done a great job in actually doing so. Matt was uh, fantastic to hear from him there, and Matt was absolutely instrumental in the development of our space and satellites plan, our strategy for the university and this sector. So you can you can see why he has that really comprehensive overall vision. He's a great person to work with, highly energetic and very very smart. It's it's great to have such talented people in the ecosystem. It's a thing we keep on saying, but there's there's more and more of them appearing by the day.
They are. They're everywhere. It's a pleasure to work with people like that. And interesting what Matt said about the increasing importance of the north of Scotland, because obviously we do have these five potential spaceports. And one of them that was in the news recently was Shetland Spaceport, because they've just announced a really exciting partnership with Lockheed Martin. So we had to get Yvette and Frank on to tell us all about that. So, hey, the first thing to say is congratulations. That is a big contract win, Lockheed Martin. Yes, it's exciting. <laughs> it's, uh, it's only been a week ago, but there's a lot been happening since. But yes, we're, we're delighted. We've been working with Lockheed for the last two years. Getting the contract novated and over, over the line has been a huge team effort. So we're all very excited. So has this changed things or was this always part of the plan to have them on, on board, almost literally? Has it changed things? It's Well, we were always hopeful that Lockheed would come to us. As I said, we've been in dialogue with them for, for quite a while, but it has definitely changed how we're viewed in the industry. I think it was a bit of a of an open secret within the space industry that Lockheed were looking to invade and come to Shetland. But until it actually happens, nobody believes you. Both locally as as well as within industry, you know, people are now saying, hey, these guys are, you know, they're they're delivering, they're 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 telling the truth, they're delivering, and um, and we're real now. So it has changed things a lot, actually. Mm. And it's a lot of jobs you're looking at creating as well. I mean, hundreds of jobs in in Shetland and throughout Scotland as well. Well, it's not just us, um, Kim. It's the whole of the space industry, really. We're just a piece of it. You know, space bookends the United Kingdom from Shetland down through Sutherland and to. Benbecula, all the way through the Central Belt, into Northumbria, into Leicestershire, into Surrey, all the way down to um, down to Cornwall. If we create one job, which obviously we're going to create a lot more, then I will be happy. But I think it's very important to remember that the jobs um, associated with what we're doing filter all the way back through to the Central Belt. And Yvette, this would be a good point to bring you in because you're obviously an American who's now living in Shetland and I guess you must be loving it and when we're all working from home it must be nice to know that we have more options now to like maybe move to somewhere as fabulous as Shetland, right? Oh my gosh, uh, Shetland, I can't say enough fabulous things about Shetland, not only the culture, the island itself, the people, but um, but really, I, I think for us, it's really the innovation and it's the can-do attitude, it's the support that we enjoy, uh, and just really uh, pride in place, uh, if that makes sense. And just uh, really, we've got a whole team. You know, Frank always talks about the team, uh, but the team not only includes Shetland Space Center, the Scottish Ecosystem, our new partners, uh, Lockheed Martin, but really the, the people here in Shetland who are, are just really um, rooting us on. Yeah, you must have lots of support. I mean, what's the atmosphere been like since you could announce this amazing contract win? <laughs> the trouble is because of COVID, you can't see anyone. So there's no, <laughs> there's no party. The big, the big plan, Kim, was to have a, and we, we will have it, Shetlanders are very good at holding parties, you know, um, and the whole idea was to have a launch party to announce the, the Lockheed move and the, and the kickstarting of the space program. So all that's having to be done virtually, but as soon as we can, um, we'll be having a bit of a huli to include the local community, the local Jarl squads, we'll have our own mini at etc. I think it's important that people, with regards to the Shetland economy, and the Shetland economy has always been based on its geography. So oil and gas, renewables, aquaculture, pelagic fishing. So space is just a, is, is another industry that is, um, you know, that is determined by the, by the geography in Shetland. And it's interesting, when Murray and I did our first two series, we were trying to tell the story of Scottish space because still so few people know what an amazing ecosystem we have in Scotland. Oh. Do you feel like this latest announcement has done something for the profile of the industry, would you say? Yeah, and I was saying that was given to me by my old warrant officer when I was a serving officer in the Air Force, that enthusiasm is contagious. And I can hear the enthusiasm coming out of the screen when you're talking to me. And I think it's very, very important that everyone in Scotland understands that space is real. You know, it's a really cool industry. There's an enormous ecosystem, as everyone says. There's young people um, who are highly skilled and highly talented. All they want to do is make things, the university systems. So um, one of my, one, one thing that gets me a little bit annoyed probably is that I don't think people in Scotland understand how important 
the space industry is to Scotland, and and the and it's been around for a while, and it's growing and it's flourishing, um, and we need to shout it from the rooftops. So if we in Shetland can you know can can carry the flag for some of that, and we're delighted because it's for everyone's benefit. But we need to get people, we need to get young people, old people enthused, and. I honestly also believe that I don't think the Scottish government deep down really understands how important the space is to the economy. Obviously the space minister does and there's and but there's so many other things going on. And we're not very good at blowing our own trumpets. So we need people to go out there and, and wave the flag and say, hey, we're here to stay. And definitely now we need good news. We we desperately need good news, don't we? <laughs> and this is a great story. I mean, you can see the smile on the vet's face. You know, we get young people coming up to us and, you know, space is seen as a post-COVID, you know, bounce back industry. From our sakes up here in the Shetland Space Centre, as I said, if we can create one job, we're looking to create over 100, 150 jobs on Anst alone. That can only be good news as long as you deliver. And, you know, and then going back, people need hope. You know, we're getting CVs every day from people who sadly have lost their jobs or who are worried about losing their jobs. And the fact that they're prepared to reskill, you know, uh, shows how desperate they are to get into employment and space is seen as an opportunity. So, yes, we need good news. And this is a good news story for us. And Yvette, what other work have you been doing in terms of building up the community, working with other parts of Scotland and the UK? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you very much. So, I, I mean, just, you know... Um, you know, I can give you an example. Just this week, you know, we've been talking uh, closely with the uh, Shetland school system and just really trying to create a program of record that is from primary through secondary through that critical point on whether I'm going to go to college or do teams or training or apprenticeships all the way through to a skills-based um, look at this so that we can create that I hate to say cradle to grave, but that cradle all the way through um, so that we've got that skilled labor here in Shetland, in Scotland, that's really fantastic. We've also been working with the arts community. If you know uh, anything about Frank's background, he's uh, an avid uh, art enthusiast, uh, as am I, but uh, we've got the backing of um, the head of uh, Shetland Arts. Who's got some really phenomenal ideas about, you know, bringing in, you know, not only art apprentices, if you will, but creating opportunities for some of our artists, uh, to creating music festivals, to doing all uh, sorts of things that really gets some of the talents that are here, resident not only not only in Shetland but the UK, to so that it's a game, it's an opportunity, it's an environment for everyone to get involved in, not just your space dorks, or your space geeks, or your engineers, or whatever, that it, that this, uh, like Frank said, is about opportunity and about hope, and everybody gets a piece of that pie. And what I've always loved about the space sports, because there's four, maybe even five, in Scotland, and you guys all work together. You might think that you'd all be in competition, but that's not really the case, is it? No. Um, the, the press would like to make out that we're in competition. The fact of the matter is, and you know this, there's enough business out there. We're all working with different clients because of our locations. We're, you know, we're, we're operationally doing slightly different things. By working collaboratively and sending out this joined up message, um, it says that Scotland's open for business. What the last thing we want is, is you, you know, as you know, you can stick two Scots in the dark room and shut the door and we'll end up fighting. You know, but <laughs> we, we mustn't do that you know, through the Scottish Space Leadership Council, through the Spaceport Alliance. And we're telling the world that, that we're open for business. There's no I in teamwork, right? And so, uh, you know, you're only, you're only as strong as your weakest man. And so, you know, uh, when one wins, all wins. And, and it's just all part of a, you know, a big, huge collaboration uh, going forward. Yeah. Well, one of the things we had the pleasure of speaking to Craig Clark, who I called the godfather of Scottish space, but Murray started to call the grandfather of Scottish space, the guy's in his 40s. But he was saying that it's launch that's going to really excite people. I mean, people don't always understand the technology involved, the satellites, the, I mean, it, it sometimes literally is rocket science. It's hard for people to get their heads around. But when we're actually launching rockets and we can do end to end, that's when it's going to become super, super exciting for people. What do you think? Yeah, the fully integrated ecosystem, as everyone keeps calling it, is, is the way ahead. And Craig's right, you know, but you know, Craig's been hugely successful, Clydespace are a fantastic flagship for, for Scotland. 
the, I say this to everybody, the, the, the bit that gets everyone excited and the sexy bit is launch. It's not necessarily the bit that's going to make everyone lots of money, but, but it looks cool and exciting to watch and the kids love it and the adults watch it. So if we in Scotland can have our, you know, can set up you know, several spaceports to facilitate launch, you know, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. You know, thanks to guys like Craig and others, all you know, and the work the universities are doing, everything else is there. So once we get the missing at launch, then Scotland's got it all. I'd love to go to Shetland Space Centre, actually. And Christina's lucky enough that she has. I think she squeezed in a trip in January just before everything locked down. But I've never been up there. Have you been up to Shetland? Not yet. It's on It's on the list for, for next year when we're able to move a bit more. So Christina, as we said before, is going to join us today. She's going to talk about how we actually make this ecosystem work. And it's just amazing the amount of people that she knows, that she gets to work together, that she can just go... I know who's right for that. And she just makes it happen. I think she has magical powers, Christina, actually. (laughs) Maybe, maybe she she does have that fantastic network and the enthusiasm and that convening power to bring people together with a common set of objectives and create really exciting projects. And I think that's her major contribution to this, to this system. Yeah, and she, um, she's she been so successful. She's brought millions of pounds worth of projects into the University of Edinburgh, so I hope they hang on to her. Here's Christina. Welcome back, Christina. I'm so pleased you're back on the podcast. Ah, uh, me too. It's been far too long. It's been ages and we've all been locked in our houses, so we're still not meeting, but we are chatting, which is nice. <laughs> so start. It's a start. So I wanted to pick your brains a little, if I may. Um, We've been speaking to various people about um, the space ecosystem and the huge leaps and gains that it's making. And you are a very interesting person because you work with so many different elements of the system. So can you give us some examples of projects that you've worked on, which has brought different parts of the ecosystem together? I definitely can. Uh, There's been definitely a lot of very exciting activity happening in space. And one of the things that's particularly brilliant about my job is that I get to work kind of across the the sector, but also mix and match uh, different parts of the ecosystem together. So just to give you a couple of ideas of specific projects, um, actually, there is one that we just uh, secured, which is very exciting. It's working with uh, the, so it's University of Edinburgh and one of our academics here working with um, Astrosat, who are a local company. And um, it's working on a a very exciting bit of software. But what's particularly interesting about this is that the academic in mind is a a guy called Britton Smith. Um, He's actually an astrophysicist and he, his kind of uh, research and his work has been all around observing galaxies, observing stars. And what we've done um, through this project and the previous project is we've pointed him from looking up to looking down, if you like, and and um, applying his knowledge and his know-how and his skills to um, a remote sensing application instead. So this this new uh, project that we're just starting out now with Astrosat is going to be all around looking at how the astrophysical simulations analysis that has happened with Britain can be applied to remote sensing data instead and to create efficiencies in code. Um, wow. which is really brilliant yes yeah um and then, and then so this is one very recent example kind of that i've been heavily involved in but there's also a lot of work happening at the moment via so through myself and my colleague Stuart, where we've been pulling together multidisciplinary teams to be able to hopefully secure large-scale funding so two recent examples are um there was a, a big call coming out from NERC, national environment research council too many abbreviations yeah. in space. Cannot remember all of them <laughs> at the same time. So, so NERC had the big call, uh, which is worth about 10 million, which is all about sustainable finance and basically bringing together the kind of the climate change, um, environmental impact um, that we're making as a, as a planet and linking that together with sustainable finance to make sure that um, that the two kind of align and, and uh, the investment that happens is environmentally savvy, environmentally... Um, sound and then the other one we're putting in again with NERC is uh, called changing the environment and that's going to be all about again looking at the data sets that we have already so remote sensing data from satellites 
but creating um, some visualization space, whether that's going to be in virtual reality or maybe another way to be able to visualize environments that we're working with and hopefully as a result of the visualization, make good uh, policy decisions and, and things like that. So, so, and all of the, both of these uh, big bids and they're worth about 10 million each hinge on or are uniquely uh, well-placed because the parties involved are from humanities, from business, from geosciences, from engineering, from informatics, and all of these people from all the different perspectives, from law as well, actually, all coming together and working together to, um, to make a really big difference. So this is exactly what Mark Logan was talking about when he was mentioning the marketplace or the market square analogy where people with all sorts of knowledge and insight can work together, share it and create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. And that sounds exactly. like exactly what you're doing. Exactly. That is completely correct. And, and one of the things that's very interesting, particularly in Edinburgh, is that the, the kind of the way that the city is set up before lockdown, but I think it kind of carried on virtually is that it's, it's an organic hub of people coming from different backgrounds, doing their own thing and just bumping into each other and innovation happening because of that. But what we're doing now is kind of, um, I, I call it happenstance. You know, we're creating the circumstance of people to bump into each other on specific projects and therefore come together and deliver something that is, like you said, greater than, like the sum is greater than its parts and, and having those mm. different perspectives from um, from different experts and people who know their field. Take me back a stage because it's all very well saying, oh, we found an informatician and a geographer and a biologist and an astrophysics and we put them all together and we got a 10 million fund and they changed the world. That sounds amazing. And we'd all love to be able to do that. How on earth do you find the right people? How do you persuade them to work together? How do you find the right thing to apply for? Like, what is that process? So that, that's my art, I guess. That is, that is the business development uh, secret sauce. Um, so it's, it's, a lot of it is knowing your ecosystem and knowing who's doing what. So a very large part of my, uh, of my role is about finding out what expertise we have that are linked to space and, well, space, space for me specifically, but kind of wider than that as well. So just kind of understanding who's around and what they're doing. So it's a lot of linking people together um, and kind of, from from my perspective, it's about understanding what uh, our academics in the university are doing across the whole university, really. And that's just about making those links into different schools and making sure you make friends with all the right people. So my counterparts, for example, in, in other areas of the university. But then the other side of that is understanding what's happening in industry and understanding what the industrial need is and um, to understand what the kind of focus is for folks. So then if you know both parts, you kind of can find the equilibrium, find the ways for them to link together. And sometimes it's driven by the funding. Sometimes a beautiful call will come out from uh, one of the funding agencies, whether that's UK Space Agency or ESA or NERC or UKRI. And you kind of go, ah, I think we could do something with this. And then you start to think about all the people that you know who probably will want to play in this field and then try to get them to come together and... and, and um, and want to work together on a project and that actually being part of the base center community makes that a lot easier because colleagues in the base center are also very well linked in so it's a, a conversation that you have to see who should be coming together and how we should kind of work together and then from the other side it could be that um, having had a conversation with um, an academic for example and a company you then think okay well they both want to work together but we need to find a funding opportunity for them to do so and that's when i go trawling through the millions of websites with all of the funding opportunities to find something that suits what we're trying to go for. It's nice. I mean, it does help that the um, that the folks that I deal with are all super friendly and open-minded and keen to work together and keen to try to find a way through, even when it's not necessarily the easiest route. I think that makes it that makes a really big difference. I think mm. having like world experts explain to me what quantum key distribution is is just. It's incredible. Mm. I mean, it's such an opportunity on so many different levels. Is there is there a way that we could replicate what you do in different situations, do you think? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, uh, obviously, um, I'm a little bit biased being a business development executive myself and, and thinking that the roles that, that we do are important because I think I think the kind of the value added 
from BDEs uh, that, like myself and my colleagues is that we find the common language between the parties and can find the connections and the links to enable us to do that because a lot of our experts, whether that's in the industry or academia, are very much focused on what they're trying to deliver. Whereas because we're slightly more removed and objective, we can see the, the, the potential um, sometimes that, that others haven't been able to spot, but there has been also numerous examples of when an industrial partner or an academic partner have come to us to say, I think this is going to be great. How do we work with the other party? So I think I think that there is a lot of value in the, um, in the linking people together to um, achieve an interesting goal. There's lots of different organizations whose primary focus is to to do that. So uh, one that comes to mind in Scotland particularly is called Interface. And their, their primary purpose is to literally link in university expertise with industry. But I think um, a lot of these organizations are very... Uh, I would say not not general, but they're they're really uh, they're really thinly spread. So I mean, there's lots of really fantastic like innovation centers, for example. So like census, like the data lab, who will focus on specific parts. So data lab being all about data, for example. Census is all about different sensors and specifically playing a big part of IoT and five G. So there's different already existing organizations that that that's purpose is to to bring unlikely players together or or players that should be mutually beneficial like government academia and industry to be able to develop and deliver something so they they already exist but i think that there is always scope for more and from my perspective and kind of my understanding i think the space sector needs that kind of support um, more and i think the scottish space leadership council or sslc as, as we call ourselves will play that role um in the in the longer term but i think there's just there's a real there's a real value added from getting people together who don't normally organically come together it's been fantastic working with christina at the university and, and like machars she was also centrally involved in the space and satellite sector plan so our strategy for what we do in the university going forwards in this sector. But also, you know, given the network of contacts that she has, she's also able to help the student body. So, uh, of course, our next guests coming on are the people who we, we hope and expect will go out into the Scottish space ecosystem and create the companies and become the analysts and become the academics of the future. So, crucially, our students. Uh, and Christina, given her strong connections with the Shetland Space Centre, has been able to support the development of the project which uh, we, we've conjured up of launching a weather balloon and so let's bring them on the show to hear about their their development and their aspiration so rebecca can you just give me an idea of what the asteria project actually is so it is comprised uh, of physics, engineering, computer sciences, and geosciences students. And our team was uh, originally established within the University of Edinburgh. However, in September, we formed a new department where students from all around the world can join. And currently, we welcome students from Mexico to India. What is exciting about Asteria is that we are the first entirely student-led satellite development team in the UK. Our current target is to launch a free Earth observation nanosatellite at the end of December 2021. Amazing. And do you enjoy being part of it? Yeah, so it's absolutely uh, great. I think this experience is especially different. It's very enriching for every university student. Personally, I'm very thankful for being part of Asteria as I had the chance to grow as a scientist. I think the most enjoyable thing is that we always face challenges and new situations which help you develop your attention to details. And in space, we, we can never be 100% sure that things work as we wish. However, we should be aware of all the variables to minimize the risk. That's great to hear. And it's great that you've got this opportunity as well. And I know you were going to launch a weather balloon from Shetland uh, this year, but obviously with COVID that, that wasn't possible. Are you planning to do that experiment or, or launch that weather balloon next year? 
well unfortunately i'm not part of the of the team uh okay. which launched the the balloon uh, so um in uh, in Asteria, there are three main projects and after we will launch our cubesat we plan to launch a rocket however the team was already formed i was in the first uh, year last year so uh, I, I wasn't able to join the team, but it's a great experience as well. And what about the support that you've had from the university? Have they been supportive? So at this moment, we are mainly supported by the Edinburgh University, of course, uh, Base Centre and uh, Data Driven Innovations. It was so nice to see how excited um, Edinburgh University professors were to find out more about our project. And probably without their help and expertise, we wouldn't have got so far. And so how many of you are there in Asteria at the moment? Do you know? So at this moment, we are nearly 100 students. And Whoa. yes, that's a huge team. And both from Edinburgh and other UK universities, such as Bristol, of course, we have a certain process uh, so people can apply however yes we are very very want to be very diverse and uh, we welcome the diversity in our team what's been your favorite part of the series then or the two series that we've done Cool. That's a that's a big question. I, I mean, as you know, I've loved the, doing the, the whole thing. Um, mm. I did. I really enjoy speaking to Bonnie. Actually, Bonnie Dunbar, somebody who's lived and worked in space. That's pretty remarkable. That is amazing. Yeah, because you're a frustrated astronaut, right? <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Um, and I, I might I might still get my chance to go to space. You never know. Uh, but it's speaking <laughs> speaking I really to. Do. <laughs> Well, when we yeah when, when we start launching, maybe we can build this that a slightly bigger rocket to get me in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed speaking to uh, to Bonnie, somebody who a real a real trailblazer and somebody who lived and worked in space. I think that was a, a real highlight for me. What what about yourself? God, it's it's like choosing amongst your children. Really, they've all been so wonderful. <laughs> um, but I do think to have the double whammy of Peter Platzer and Craig Clark. That was really thrilling for me because those are two people that I've admired for so long and to to get their time and to speak to them and to have such a laugh with them and to be so inspired by what they said was was a real thrill journalistically. So, yeah, I think that the double whammy of, of Peter and Craig was pretty special. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. Absolutely. I, I see that. They're huge names, of course, here in, in space in Scotland. And it's fantastic to get them on. Brilliant, brilliant people. Uh, yeah. as, as everybody has been who's come on the show but that, that was fantastic yeah it was really good and I'm so pleased that we got to make these series so the first two series were thanks to the data-driven innovation program so we should give them a huge thank you well yeah that's that's the great point I mean is that I work at the University of Edinburgh alongside my role in space intelligence and it was the data-driven innovation program which supported both series so a huge thanks to the DDI program uh, for making this uh, happen and yeah. Um, yeah, looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, who knows what comes next? We've got big plans. We don't want to say too much yet, but um, there will be a series three and it might be slightly different. We're very excited about that, aren't we? We are, we are, we are. Um, mm. But for now, I, I think uh, that's a, a brilliant way to wrap up 2020 and our podcasting for Space and Satellites with our Christmas special. Uh, and yeah, thanks to everybody who's taken part and thanks for everybody who's listened in. Yeah, and thanks for everyone who shared it as well, because it's been real great word of mouth marketing for us. So I'm really pleased that so many people have enjoyed it and passed on the links. Thank you very much. Okay, Kim. Well, I'm wishing you a very Merry Christmas and look forward to what 21 brings. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you too. Drive safely as you head down south to see family and friends safely, I hope. Um, Wear your mask, wash your hands, all that stuff. And we'll, (laughs) we'll catch up in the new year. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening. Thank you.